Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by UK editor John Harrington. Hi, Frankie. And this week we're also joined by two special guests. Giles Fraser, who is co-founder of Top 30 Agency Brands to Life, whose clients include Barclays, LinkedIn, Vodafone and Tetra Pak. Hello, Giles. Hello. And also leading industry consultant, Alison Clark. Alison has held a number of agency leadership positions, including being the CEO of Grayling and Group Business Director of the Huntsworth Group, and has also held a number of presidential roles for both the PRCA and the CIPR. Hello, Alison. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Pleasure. And thank you, Alison, too, as she's made the time while she's having a lovely holiday in Portugal. So much appreciated. So we've invited Alison and Giles to join us today to discuss the looming prospect of a recession following the downbeat forecast from the Bank of England. We thought this was the right time to discuss what this really means for agencies, what advice these industry stalwarts, I hope they don't mind me calling them that rather than veteran, um, would give to agencies as we weather yet another economic storm in the industry. Both Alison and Giles have led businesses through the previous 2007 recession, as, as I also did. And we have all worked through the 90s recession and, of course, the recent COVID-induced recession. But none of those recessions have had quite such a deep cost of living and energy crisis as the one we face now. Many think this winter will be a real winter of discontent as inflation energy and food prices continue to rise. We also face potential winter energy blackouts. Times ahead really do seem very tough. So let's get straight into the subject. Giles, first to you, what do you feel about, you know, you've been through a number of recessions. What do you feel about the shape of this recession? And, you know, are there similarities to the previous recessions or is this something that you think is going to be quite different? 
Well, I think first and foremost, I've got to say, somewhat obviously, I'm not an economist. So I know what I've, you know, I've read in here. And you're right, I worked through a few of them, 90s, and obviously 2007, 2008. We had a small one, didn't we? It didn't feel small. We had one at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, they all have different shapes, don't they, in terms of, you know, different characteristics. You're right to say that um, there are some very alarming, you know, characteristics muted in terms of cost of living and fuel. And I think that, you know, you also read the experts saying, look, they anticipate something might run for most of next year. I think it's going to be, it is going to be tough for businesses, but businesses on the whole are pretty, I think, sort of fit and agile. They're not as carrying as much debt as in 2008, you know. So I think that the experiences of the pandemic have, I think, made made companies and agencies maybe more prepared for it. But as I said, you just don't know about the size of it. I think I think that, you know, people can't be complacent, but the industry, I think, has learned a lot from the last few years and therefore, you know, should be able to handle it. And do you have a sense, I mean, if we look back at 2007, actually that ended up being a really good year for a number of agencies. I know tech had a little bit of a wobble around that time, um, but, you know, I very much remember in the consumer space, we, we had a really good, you know, experience. I suppose that potentially is going to be quite different from a consumer perspective, isn't it? Moving into this recession potentially. Yes, I think that's right. I think that um, particularly this autumn is going to be challenging for consumer and retail brands. The obviously in 2007, 2008, it coincided with the sudden emergence of social and digital, which is such a key part of our services as an industry now. And that I think has made a huge difference to the prospects and opportunities for agencies and obviously it created a whole load of new businesses which have also created you know new services and products for consumers and opportunities for us in us in the industry sure alison what are your thoughts how are you feeling about the shape of this recession compared to the previous recessions that that you've worked and, and run agencies through well i think it's pretty evident that we need to be prepared for it to be long and there's no doubt that after covid Uh, where people were hoping to get back to some semblance of normality, this is uh, more more than just a recessionary blow. But I I do agree with uh, Giles's comments that post-COVID, our industry is in better shape to weather the storm than it might have been during COVID. Leaders got close to their people. We got close to our clients and understood better how we needed to adapt to meet their needs. Um, Both of those things, I think, are going to be incredibly helpful. But there's no doubt about it. Um, We've we've got some tough times ahead of us. And I think we have to keep our cool, get our head down and focus on all the things we learned through the pandemic and more to see us through it. So... This is a really interesting time as well when thinking about financial forecasting and agencies. Many will be putting their numbers together for the new calendar year or soon for um, the new financial year. Alison, do you have a view in terms of those financial forecasts? Can you see any trends potentially there? What agencies will need to be looking at? I'm thinking specifically in consumer about the hit you know, we've just on the back of COVID, there was a massive hit, you know, potentially on restaurants, the high street, et cetera, et cetera. And that they're going to have to weather that storm, the impact of food potentially on restaurants and also on supermarkets and also the run up to Christmas. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I think that um, consultancies are going to have to be 
creative with their clients as to how brands can connect effectively with their consumers. So I think it's going to take creativity uh, in, in how we can support brands to be meaningful and make the, the right sort of connections um, with, 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 with clients. That may mean a hit on revenues, of course, um, as we saw during the pandemic, particularly in the consumer brand space. I think what matters is that consultancies stay agile and focused on their service offering and be prepared to adapt it to meet their clients' needs so that they focus on sustainable revenue, even if they take some hits. Uh, and I would say that that sustainable revenue is more important even than necessarily upholding margins uh, in the way that we might have expected to, them to be looking. So, so it's being creative, it's being agile, and it's finding ways of protecting revenue as much as possible, particularly in those sectors that are clearly going to find it challenging. But the fact that there is a recession out there means that brands need to find creative ways of engaging with consumers because they're going to have to make choices and brands will want their own corporation or service offering to be the one that's chosen. I'd like to come in with a, with a question talking about, well, we mentioned Christmas. Um, I'd like to ask about tone of work. I mean, we saw when COVID hit that there was a real kind of shift in tone, as you'd expect. Um, a lot of the work that came out was around supporting customers and um, a lot of the sort of wackiness, a lot of the kind of inventiveness in some senses seemed to sort of go away because there were other priorities. Um, how do you think uh, the sort of the tone of 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 campaigns and the tone of messages will change um, as we move into, as we expect, a recession. Thinking about Christmas again, um, you know, if there's going to be a situation where people are really struggling to afford to spend on Christmas as they usually do, um, do you think this might really affect the sort of the tone and the nature of Christmas campaigns and, and other campaigns um, in the months ahead, really? What do you think, Alison? Well, we've had two bleak COVID Christmases, um, and I think that um, just as everyone hoped they might be returning to something approaching normal, things are looking rather bleak. So I think it's going to be a quite a delicate balance. Uh, at the end of the day, people are going to have to make choices, and therefore brands and products and services are going to want their share of standout, but they're going to have to do it in a way that's sensitive. So I, I think it cannot be quite as bleak as it has been because there is an appetite in spite of everything we're reading about and experiencing for something to be better than it has been for the past two years. But at the same time, there's going to need to be great sensitivity around that because for some people, it's, it's not going to be a, a better Christmas. Uh, so I guess it's a, it's a delicate balance. And I'm not an ad person. I don't know if those big Christmas grocery uh, brand campaigns have been shot already. Many of them probably have, whether they'll be going back to the drawing board and revisiting their messaging. But um, my, my view is it, it, it needs to be partly upbeat because I think people want it, but it will need to be very sensitively and delicately handled. But that's where, back to our earlier conversation, comms and PR can be more agile and can adapt and, and amend accordingly. Uh, but it's, it's it's a tricky one. Yes, I'd add to that. I mean, Alison, I, I do think actually previously a lot of our campaigns are filmed in the summer. 
um, and potentially will be in the can. But, you know, whether those decisions have been made for those to go slightly later so that they can actually start to read the situation will be interesting. I don't know if you remember the Tesco campaign last year where it was it was selling the message that nothing was going to get between us and our Christmas as, you know, the front pages were just full of whether we were going to go into lockdown or not. And, and tonally, it was just a complete mismatch. Um, so I think there's a lot to think through from an advertising perspective and also just the idea of telling people to buy things for Christmas and how people are actually even going to afford to put Christmas dinner on the table, let alone presents under the tree. That's going to be a really difficult challenge, I think, for a, a number of supermarkets and, and retail brands. So they are going to need a lot of advice about how they sensitively manage that. And I think things are potentially going to change on a daily basis. I think that's right. I also think, you know, COVID's not over there's monkeypox is, exists. There's also you know how to bring the uh, tone up. Sorry, sorry <laughs> everything else. Yeah. yeah, doom and gloom. But you know, Christmas will come, whatever, and I'm sure we'll all have a good. Should time. we just cancel now? What do you yeah, think? Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are other considerations as well. Other things that that, that might happen, and you know, we don't know what's going to happen in in politics as well. So. Um, you know there are there are all those concerns, but I think you're right. I think that point for me about nimbleness um, and being able to sort of change um, and adapt is probably more important now than than it ever has been. Um, moving on to another question, um, sectors. I mean, you know, we we've seen and again over the COVID period, some sectors performing better than others, and some performing in different ways than others. Do you have a particular idea, dear uh, Giles, how you expect? different sectors to perform if we do have this recession, you know, consumer, corporate, tech, healthcare, ESG, et cetera? So, well, if we go through the list, I think, I mean, healthcare, I think, given the innovation, huge demands, I think, you know, we'll continue to see investment be, be hot. Tech has obviously had a bit of a wobble over the summer, but businesses keep needing to, you know, re-engineer themselves and change themselves and tech is at the heart of that. So I think things like sort of B2B tech, which we're big, you know, pretty pretty confident that will continue to move along. Per all, all things purpose and corporate, reputation management, public affairs with so much uncertainty. Even consumer, I, I said, the conversations about the autumn are right. But what we do see in recessions, it, it drives innovation. The new brands come out. You know, we saw it with things like Zoom, for example, and even TikTok during the pandemic. You know, new brands come along and things like that. So, you know, our industry is very good at introducing new things to the world so you know there's there may be the odd sector where there will be a bit of a, a bit of a, hi, a hiatus but by and large i think we can be confident going back to all the things we're talking about the kind of services we provide and do you think there was a shift in covid for agencies to become more consultative partners and therefore be in that position than necessarily being the tactical you know win win the best idea wins actually sort of the best idea wins is is a dangerous place to potentially be right now versus that there's partner two- there's just I'll pick up on that. Yeah, there's two there's two key trends we saw that were accelerated during sort of the, the pandemic. One was helping organisations to, if you like, transform their communications to a more digitally centric world. So they're reflecting perhaps tighter media, new new you know new ways of reaching consumers and customers, helping engineer you know re-engineer and transform that. And secondly, to your point. Picking up on you know finding one idea and making it work well across channels, so it had a multiplier effect. Do you know what I mean? And not just you know making sure everything was truly integrated, singing from the same hymn sheet. Those two things were accelerated during the pandemic, and I think will be important as we move forward. So, Alison, just thinking about 
you know, thinking about those financial forecasts, we've both worked even together inside um, PLC businesses. It, it's not easy financially forecasting in, in this sort of environment. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts for agencies in terms of how they manage that? I think that, um, as I said, it's a sustainable revenue is what's important um, and doing the right thing, doing the right thing by clients and doing the right thing by our people. Whilst I absolutely am committed and always have been, as you know, to uh, healthy margins, my observation would be that doing the right thing might mean uh, accepting an element of margin holiday. And by that, I don't mean plummeting margins, but I think that slash and burn and cutting everything is the wrong thing to do and actually making yourself relevant to your clients through your product and service offering and staying very close to your people who we've all know have, we've, we've fought hard to find um, and we want to retain. I think those things have got to be priorities. Uh, so if, if you take a hit on revenue, uh, it may be that that margin isn't as sustainable as you'd hoped it would be. But I would argue that accepting this for a period of time is better than having cut for cut matched sort of slash and burn strategies, uh, which I think are a race to the bottom and don't put anyone in the right place for when we come out of recession. So keep a cool head, uh, keep doing good work and keep being good to your people and for your people. And plan for the long term. I mean, it sounds, you know, I think the industry learned a lot, didn't it, during COVID in terms of letting people go and then having a, a talent crisis on the back of that. And, you know, as you say, that strategy just, just didn't work. So we must hold on to those people. Giles, would you agree? Totally. I think I think picking up on what Alison says, you know, we, you know, we're lucky enough to have an amazing bunch of people at Brandslide and we want to make sure that we keep them, keep developing, keep them happy. And I think that, you know, we spent a lot of time during, you know, the last few years recruiting people. We need to make sure that we you know that they, they can do the jobs that they want, we want them to do for us, for their clients. And therefore, you know, yeah, totally just investing in those people and keeping things, you know, with an eye, as you say, an eye on the long term. Absolutely. So looking Again, at the shape of the recession and thinking about, you know, the winners and losers in, in terms of what happened last time, PR has typically done quite well um, during recessionary times. And, and actually, John, I think there was a the piece that Evie wrote about this recently in terms of potentially consumer PR doing well in some cases um, on the back of the recession. It, interesting commentary, I thought, given given the impact potentially on the high street. Giles, what... How do you think that we're going to fare as an industry versus potentially something like advertising? Well, personally, I think we're in a we're in a strong position. We're able to both consult, do the thinking and strategy for clients, and the delivery. We are if you think about some of the areas that are really you know crucial, sustainability, ESG, things like that, the role of digital and communications. These are all areas where PR businesses have really come on in leaps and bounds over the last few years. So if a client is thinking about what their overall strategy is, the mix is going to be more towards PR in the most modern sense, and as well as social, et cetera, digital content influencer, as it might have been you know, in the past towards more classic above the line, the big events, the big stunts, whatever it might be. So much more narrow cast, picking up on particular individuals, maybe a little bit more grassroots, localized, reflecting the fragmented way the world works. All of these are things that we, as, as, a, as an industry and as an agency, can respond really well to. So, you know, I think that we are in a better position 
than other subsectors of marketing services. And how do you feel about the competition from advertising and media agencies at a digital level? I mean, if we look at sort of the previous recessions, you could absolutely see that the money wasn't there to necessarily support the big TV campaigns. But ad agencies and media agencies, especially media agencies, are now also quite agile. How, how do you feel about that as a, well, as a threat? Well, obviously, they're, they're, everyone, everyone thinks they can do it. I think our industry has a special capability in that we are closer to the zeitgeist the work we do with media and influencers means that I think we are more ter- more attuned to what's happening right now when we're planning. So we have the sort of technical capabilities, the abilities for content and channel selection and listening and strategy, but we're also a little bit more on the money, and that may sound arrogant, I apologise, in terms of what the story should be. Because if you're planning you with a rear view mirror, it's harder to get a story that's going to land right. So I think we are we are, we are going back to the point about agility and nimbleness. I think that's key. Well, and the ability of, of our industry to earn opinion and, and the right Absolutely message. Absolutely right, yes. Alison, your thoughts in terms of you know the comparisons to previous recessions and, and how we will fare potentially versus advertising and, and media? Well, I agree with Giles. I think we're very well placed for all the reasons he's outlined, but also because we ultimately are the people that, that, that manage and broker and maintain relationships. Uh, and in this world, whether we have a recession or not, we know increasingly that people, uh, it matters to people how corporations behave and perform. And the reality is if you're building stakeholder relationships, you can't switch those on and off. Uh, depending on what's happening in the climate out there. So for me, whether it be public affairs, ESG, uh, engagement with influencers, these aren't people you can stop talking to just because things are not great uh, in, in the world at large. So for those reasons, whilst we'll need to be agile and we'll need to adapt, potentially, the way we go about that, or indeed the volume of work that we're doing, I think that relationships are ultimately what we're about and you can't switch those on and off like a tap. And how well do you think our industry is at articulating that that's what we do versus those peaks and troughs that can obviously happen around sales cycles versus the, you know, the importance of investing in those stakeholder relationships and, and really ensuring that they're always on and that we're managing them and, and that you can't turn them on and off? Giles? We could be better. Right. We could be better. The The age old discussion is about, I think, about what sort of investment in the measurement and evaluation that you can make. You know, so can you demonstrate that an investment in this stakeholder relationship will make a tangible difference to both the brand and behaviors and so on and so forth? And that is usually a function of budget. I think it's changing fast. There are lots more great tools that you can use that enable you to demonstrate a difference. But we've still got a way to go, I think. Um, thus said, I think that each successive leader of an organisation, a client organisation, on the whole, gets the value of communications more than the previous generation. And therefore, they're more open to it. They're more likely to have the communications head sitting alongside them and the agency is alongside them. So it's yeah. There's, there's, there's been a lot of progress, but there's a lot, there's a lot more to do, I would say. There's just value, isn't there, in that narrative and the client really understanding. It's common sense, isn't it? If you if you walk away from a relationship for six months to 12 months, you're going to have to work that much harder to, to re-engage it and build it back up again. And I think that narrative is potentially not that benefit, that business benefit is not maybe being heard clearly enough. Um, 
I think it's. I think most people are gradually being. I mean, you know, take sustainability. I know it's taking a. There's a lot of debate about that at the moment in the context of what's been going on. But most people realise that, you know, the investors want it, the employees want it, the cons- the customers want it. You know, you have to keep going at it. If you stop, competition going to take over. You're going to lose your credibility. You're going to waste the hard work. So, I think most people understand that. Most most people understand it has to be. It has to be pursued. It can't be. It can't be dropped. So we've covered a lot of ground already in terms of what agencies need to do to protect their business in recession. We've very much talked about needing to protect revenue and talent inside the business and potentially taking you know, margin holidays and pragmatic decisions to really protect the long-term stability of the business. We've also talked about staying close to clients. I think there's a couple of other areas that, that we've discussed that I think would be really interesting to highlight Financial management, Giles, in terms of, you know, really making sure that the money coming in the business stays in the business. Do you have some thoughts there about what agencies need to do to, to really manage that kind of fit? Yeah, outlook? I think, I mean, first of all, I think it's the same disciplines that are true when times are good. But being very assiduous about obviously making sure your terms and conditions are as good as possible, things like payment days, making sure you're getting your POs quickly, making sure that, the pay, you know, you're getting paid as quickly as possible. All of these things, I think sometimes our industry are a bit more nervous about doing that with clients, but I think it's important for people to have that sort of commercial head on and make sure that they're get, we're, you know, they are getting the right amount of money as quickly as possible from the client for the great work they do. And particularly cash. You know, bringing cash in cash, king. yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting, getting, getting that money in so that you can pay the salaries and spa and so on. For doing that uh, in a focused way during a recession is really important. So sometimes these things may slip when things are busy. Getting the new PO, getting the invoice out, that kind of thing needs to be really tightened up for all agencies. I would say. So let's just talk about payment terms. I think mm. that's really important. A lot of clients seem to have just slipped to 60 days as standard, you know, lots of footsies on 90 days. There's been a growth of, you know, invoice data, data type services that enable especially startup businesses to manage those invoices. With your clients, if you're happy to say, you know, have you got a spread across that or are you managing to keep people at 30 days? I don't know about 30 days. We've always been very, you know, we've always worked closely with our client procurement teams to make sure that they are as favorable as possible. We haven't had we haven't had to go into any sort of debtor invoicing type. Very much a startup situation. We haven't we haven't done that. You know, we just you know, we just try and make sure that we've got, you know, we invoice as soon as possible, we get paid as soon as possible and by and large our clients we have a good relationship with our clients and they they think they realize that that's the quid pro quo of doing great work and being a good partner is that you know, we get money in in, in in good time. So I think whilst we all, all agencies have a few clients who pay very late, by and large, it's good. So new business is obviously going to be really important to all agencies, but potentially a need to be smart about new business. Alison, what are your recommendations around the new business processes as we move into these interesting times? Well, I um, also like to think of new business as new money. So uh, we need to, uh, we, we, we need to, through our relationships with clients, look at upselling and cross-selling as much as we possibly can. So I don't think we must forget. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, our existing client base where we have relationships and look for new opportunities there. And that's something I think many consultancies could do more of in a proactive way. But when it comes to brand new relationships, my, my advice is make sure your pre-qualification is as robust as possible. There is only a finite amount of time that any consultancy can spend on pitching to new potential clients. Um, and so much of it is wasted when people chase after things that were probably never going to be a relationship that was going to fly. So be very, very robust with your pre-qualification. I think one of the challenges of any recession when people are chasing revenues and trying to meet targets that they feel are slipping away from them is there can be a tendency to just go for everything. And that, of course, is exhausting. It's demotivating. It's demoralizing. And it doesn't necessarily deliver the revenues you'd hoped for. So be careful about what you go for. But what you do go for, make sure your best practice is, is really, really running through the entire business. My other observation is that whilst everybody loves new business, we shoehorn it in between our current client work and meetings. And I think if you're going to go for something, go for it properly, clear those diaries, give it absolutely everything you can, and that will improve your chances of success. Music to my ears, Alison. Giles, your thoughts too on new business? Totally echo all of that. I think um, three things for me. One is... Yeah, t- you know, focus on the ones you really want to do. Don't get distracted by volume. Uh, make sure that the client is giving you a, re- a realistic amount of time to prepare. Make sure that you get the chance to meet all the key decision makers. Sometimes there's a key, very senior decision maker not involved in the process who comes in at the last minute. So make sure you, you know that everyone is open to a proper competitive process. And I think the other thing is just make sure you, you, you have been given a firm indication of the budget or the budget stretch, because often it's the tell us what it takes. Is, that's where there can be some lack of alignment between prospects and agencies. So those are the three things I would, I would pick out. The idea that we'll accept a, a brief with no budget on should definitely be kicked well into the past. Um, so looking also at talent, and you know, we've we've all talked about the real importance of, of really motivating and supporting people through this process or through this recession. The cost of living crisis is obviously putting huge pressure on on junior members of of your of your teams. What's your thoughts on that, and how 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 do you think agencies should be responding to that? Especially as it's, it looks like it's going to get even worse from an energy perspective. So first and foremost, I mean, you know, Sarah and myself, we spend a lot of time talking to everyone in the business, 
in small groups on a one-to-one basis, making sure that we understand their personal concerns. So for example, when we do pay rises, we always, Sarah and myself, always speak to each individual personally, even though we're nearly 200 people now. We regard that's really important. And so we do that. We do lots of getting togethers. We make sure that we're doing independent surveys of the teams. We are just spending as much time as possible to understand what's going on with their lives. Um, like most good agencies, we spent a lot of time thinking about things like mental health. We've got an employee assistance line. So that sort of 360 care for our employees has become, I think particularly it was accelerated during the pandemic, but that is something that hopefully will ensure that we are steering our way through and supporting them as much as possible. But one final thing, I do think it's about going back to our industry. You know, we've got an amazing industry. We pray amazing things. We don't spend enough time really talking about the value of what we do to clients. And we need to make sure our teams know that what they do and the time they spend matters and that the future, even if there might be a bumpy short term, the future is good going forward. So thinking about the balance of your role as a leadership team, it sounds like it's so much more focused on people than it than it ever has been, really maybe on the back of COVID. Well, we've always put a big emphasis on it. As you probably know, we're a majority-owned employee trust, so that's that's key to our ethos. But from our point of view, that looking after, we always, our mission statement has the people first and the client second, because we believe if you find and keep the good, great people, the clients will come and stay. And that's the philosophy that we've always had. I think someone called Richard Branson had that philosophy as well. I'm sure we got there first. (laughs) I'm sure you did. Um, So Giles, there's just so much for agencies to think about as as they move into the recession. If you were going to give it your top three and prioritise, you know, the order of those, what, what do you think it would be? Three. Okay. I think, well, first and foremost, look after people. I think we made that clear. Make Keep close to them. Make sure you're listening to their needs, responding to them as much as possible. Intrinsic to that is looking after the clients because obviously you want to make sure the clients keep investing. They keep you know spending the right amount of money so you can re- reward your team. So those two work together. The financials, as I've said, that just seems a basic to make sure that you are keeping that as tight as possible. You're getting paid promptly, that you're looking after the cash and you're just really running as you know a tight as financial operation as you can. If you don't mind me adding one more, I think innovation in terms of services, you can't keep still. You need to think the new ways in which you can help customers to do their, their brand comms better, how they can reach customers and consumers better. All of that innovation is crucial if we're to have as good next few years as we've had the past few years. Great, fantastic, great advice. And then just finally for you know, young people and employees working inside the industry who really have just been through the most of extraordinary of times over the last couple of years. You probably are really quite worried about working in an agency going into recession. What advice would you give them? Make sure you tell you talk to your line managers, talk to the people you report into about your concerns. Don't be shy about it because they will have probably been through them themselves. You know, spend time talking, spending time with colleagues. Make sure that the work that you do is good. If you're if you're learning on the job, make sure you're asking people about how you can do things differently or better. And I think just you know, make sure that you are investing the time in doing a good job, but talking to people about the things outside of work that might be affecting the way you do the job. And if you do all of that, and it's a good employer, you should be all right. And I think you know, in in good shape to build your career despite any any short-term issues. 
And just to follow on from that, how have you managed that from a COVID perspective in terms of hybrid working and especially thinking about younger members of the team who could be sat in the kitchen <laughs> struggling on their own? How, how are you managing that communication? Lots and lots of one-to-one conversations, both with the sort of line managers, with the leaders of the agency, with our people team, spending lots of time talking to people, keeping an eye out if someone is you know, it seems to be struggling. We have encouraged people to come in two days a week. We had the office open pretty much since July 2020. So people have used it all the time, but obviously in different times are coming back in different volumes. But we've set it up in such a way that if someone is having a hard time, I like to think that, you know, within 24 hours, we know and we're, we're addressing it. And I think that's back to the former point that actually COVID in, in a way has actually set businesses up to be quite strong to handle these these future knocks potentially. That's that's our view. You know, we have obviously lots of new people join and we have to make sure they get inducted and get to know people quickly and well. But by and large, it has helped us to make sure that we're all one team and know what know what each individual's lives are about. Well, thank you so much, um, Giles and Alison, for for that really, you know, helpful conversation. I think as as people are going into these difficult times, I mean, I think we all just wish everybody the best as as they navigate these these challenging times. And obviously, we'll see in a in a year's time where we are. But as you say, the industry is hopefully set up more strongly than it ever was, having having weathered what it's just weathered with um, COVID. So, thank you so much. So now let's turn to this week's top and flop. Okay, well, thank you, Frankie. Um, I'll go straight in for flop this week. uh, We've gone with Braden uh, Wilacki. He's the chief executive of US B2B marketing agency, Hypersocial. You may have seen a LinkedIn post from Wilacki featuring a picture of the CEO crying after he laid off a number of staff. Um, this went viral in recent days. We've seen a lot of um, a lot of memes, a lot of mocking of the of the post. Anyway, he starts the post saying, "This will be the most vulnerable thing I'll ever share." Uh, he disguised the layoffs as the toughest thing he's ever had to do. How he loves his employees, and he wished he was a business owner that was only money driven and didn't care about who he hurt along the way. So, I mean, the post was widely criticised, firstly because Wilaki was focusing on himself, really, and not his former employees um, uh, who were laid off. And I think this is not a good look. Um, And on the fact he was crying, I mean, some people have argued that it can be a positive thing for people, and men in particular, to show their vulnerable side, um, that this is a progressive thing to do. In my view, it's one thing to talk about your feelings and even shed tears of genuine sadness during an interview or similar. It's another thing to take a photo of yourself crying and upload it onto social media to get sympathy or dampen criticism. It seems incredibly inauthentic. So as I say, there are a lot of memes about it. He's um, he's standing by um, his approach, um, but I personally think um, it was a bad look and not a good comm strategy overall. Uh, what do you think, Frankie? Oh, definitely agree. And um, what's bizarre as well is that he runs a social agency and he just did a picture that, you know, looked like he'd slightly poked himself in the eye. And actually he had the opportunity to create a video. It could be a really great narrative. It could be really well thought through, putting his employees at the heart that could have been meaningful and empathetic. And he could have conveyed how he felt and also what this meant to him, but in a way that it just didn't smack as this is all about me and not about everybody else. So yes, it was definitely misjudged. Yeah, it reminds me of um, some influence a few years ago. I remember there was one where um, someone, an influencer accused of being um, 
sort of blagging and just kind of trying to get free stuff and posted a video where she was crying and sort of, you know, saying how, how sad she was and all the rest of it. It strikes me as quite an, I don't mean to sound mean, but it sounds, it strikes me as an immature approach to, to it. It doesn't sound genuine, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that that was a flop, unfortunately. Going to move on to top. Um, and we're going for Gordon Brown. Um, I think the way the former prime minister has articulated the scale of the cost and living crisis and presented solutions in sort of recent days, the last week or so, I think has been really impressive. And I don't know about you, but I think maybe we didn't fully appreciate it during his tenure. Um, but there's certainly a contrast to our current leaders, um, especially our current prime minister, who is famously on holiday right now, doing apparently nothing um, in this time of crisis. Anyway, Brown suggested um, a number of schemes, such as um, cancelling the emergency cap um, on uh, cost rises uh, before the official announcement on 26th of August, and even temporary nationalisation of energy firms if they can't reduce bills. Um, he wants Johnson, as well as Sunak and Truss, to get together, um, or if not, recall Parliament and have emergency meetings with COBRA. Um, he branded the Conservatives' windfall tax idea as stupid. I mean, I personally think Brown's use of language was quite powerful in this. I'll read one out to you. People are being asked to bear an unbearable burden of unpayable bills at a time when so many are under pressure. The Independent uh, ran a comment piece saying, um, entitled, Why is Gordon Brown leading on the cost of living and not Keir Starmer? To be fair, Starmer has since come out with policies in the last couple of days, but it did feel like Brown was ahead on this. And he's had almost 100,000 people at the time of recording sign a petition um, backing his call for an emergency bu budget. So, you know, maybe it's easy to say these things when you're not in power. Maybe it'd be different if he was in power. But I do think there's a real sense now that the country needs sort of decisive and bold actions. And it does sound like Brown was offering that. Um, so that's why I think he's our top. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, I just rewatched the Sky interview this morning with, with Gordon Brown, 20 minute interview, and it just felt like there was a grown up who knew what they were doing and that felt incredibly reassuring. And I think he, he, well, if he was in government, it would be incredibly reassuring. You know, he called out key things that actually we should be acting on this now. We can't wait for our new leader to be in place to then, you know, deliver our strategy around the energy crisis. It's just simply going to be too late. Um, and just that very practical guidance, you know, is really what we need to see. And, and, and I think we need to be educated that, you know, potentially we are missing some deadlines in terms of actually making sure that we're going to be ready for these enormous shocks that are coming down, down the line. And I don't know, we've talked before about, you know, the fantastic Blair and Brown documentary that was on the BBC, um, I can't remember, it was about a year ago or so. And it was just, you know, the last financial crisis, it was just fascinating listening to Gordon Brown. You know, he just threw himself into a number of financial books, got all the G7 countries together, you know, took a really big leadership role in really driving proper financial strategy and policy to deal with these problems. And you just don't have this sense that there's proper policy and there's a proper plan, much like some previous things that we've been through over the last couple of years. So um, it did feel like he was the grown up and Sky News asked the right question, which is, might you come back into politics, Mr. Brown? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's sort of, I know there's rose tinted spectacles and all the rest of it, but it does feel like, you know, as you say, he was, he, he came across as being like the grown up. And I do think that his way of sort of explaining stuff like quite deftly, but using quite powerful language, I think is, um, is something that, that is missing, frankly, at the moment. 
And I think also to Starmer as well, it did. It has felt that Labour's not necessarily out there quite, you know, as stridently as possibly they should be on on alternative policies and how they'd handle this. So that's also an interesting tension, I think, with the Labour Party. Yes, I think that's true. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. And we really look forward to you joining us next time. Goodbye.
Um, I'd like to come in with a, with a question talking about, well, we mentioned Christmas. Um, I'd like to ask about tone of work. I mean, we saw when COVID hit that there was a real kind of shift in tone, as you'd expect. Um, a lot of the work that came out was around supporting customers and um, a lot of the sort of wackiness, a lot of the kind of inventiveness in some senses seemed to sort of go away because there are other priorities. Um, how do you think uh, the sort of the tone of, of of campaigns and the tone of messages will change um, as we move into, as we expect a recession? Thinking about Christmas again, um, you know, if there's going to be a situation where people are really struggling to afford to spend on Christmas as they usually do, um, do you think this might really affect the sort of the tone and the nature of Christmas campaigns and, and other campaigns um, in the months ahead, really? What do you think, Alison? Well, we've had two bleak COVID Christmases, um, and I think that um, just as everyone hoped they might be returning to something approaching normal, things are looking rather bleak. So I think it's going to be a quite a delicate balance. Uh, at the end of the day, people are going to have to make choices and therefore brands and products and services are going to want their share of standout, but they're going to have to do it in a way that's sensitive. So I, I think it cannot be quite as bleak as it has been because there is an appetite in spite of everything we're reading about and experiencing for something to be better than it has been for the past two years. But at the same time, there's going to need to be great sensitivity around that because for some people, it's, it's not going to be a, a better Christmas. Uh, so I guess it's a, it's a delicate balance. And I'm not an ad person. I don't know if those big Christmas grocery uh, brand campaigns have been shot already. Many of them probably have, whether they'll be going back to the drawing board and revisiting their messaging. But um, my, my view is it, it, it needs to be partly upbeat because I think people want it, but it will need to be very sensitively and delicately handled. But that's where, back to our earlier conversation, comms and PR can be more agile and can adapt and, and amend accordingly. Uh, but it's, it's it's a tricky one. Yes, I'd add to that. I mean, Alison, I, I do think actually previously a lot of our campaigns are filmed in the summer um, and potentially will be in the can. But, you know, whether those decisions have been made for those to go slightly later so that they can actually start to read the situation will, will be interesting. I don't know if you remember the Tesco campaign last year where it was it was selling the message that nothing was going to get between us and our Christmas as, you know, the front pages were just full of whether we were going to go into lockdown or not. And, and tonally, it was just a complete mismatch. Um, so I think there's a lot to think through from an advertising perspective and also just the idea of telling people to buy things for Christmas and how people are actually even going to afford to put Christmas dinner on the table, let alone presents under the tree. That's going to be a really difficult challenge, I think, for a, a number of supermarkets and, and retail brands. So they are going to need a lot of advice about how they sensitively manage that. And I think things are potentially going to change on a daily basis. I think that's right. I also think, you know, COVID's not over there's monkeypoxes exists. There's also you know how to bring the uh, tone up. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry <everyone>. everything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doom and gloom. But you know, Christmas will come, whatever, and I'm sure we'll all have a good Should time. Should we just cancel now? What do yeah, you think? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are other considerations as well. Other things that that, that might happen, and you know, we don't know what's going to happen in in politics as well. So. Um, you know, there are there are all those concerns, but I think you're right. I think that point for me about nimbleness um, and being able to sort of change um, and adapt is probably more important now than, than it ever has been. Um, moving on to another question. Um, sectors, I mean, you know, we, we've seen, and again, over the COVID period, some sectors 
performing better than others and some performing in different ways than others. Do you have a particular idea, dear uh, Giles, how you expect different sectors to perform if we do have this recession, you know, consumer, corporate, tech, healthcare, ESG, et cetera? So, well, if we go through the list, I think, I mean, healthcare, I think, given the innovation, huge demands, I think, you know, we'll continue to see investment be, be hot. Tech has obviously had a bit of a wobble over the summer, but businesses keep needing to, you know, re-engineer themselves and change themselves and tech is at the heart of that. So I think things like sort of B2B tech, which we're big, you know, pretty pretty confident that will continue to move along. Per all, all things purpose and corporate, reputation management, public affairs with so much uncertainty. Even consumer, I, I the conversations about the autumn are right. But what we do see in recessions, it, it drives innovation. The new brands come out. You know, we saw it with things like Zoom, for example, and even TikTok during the pandemic. You know, new brands come along and things like that. So, you know, our industry is very good at introducing new things to the world. So, you know, there's, there may be the odd sector where there will be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, hi- a hiatus, but by and large, I think we can be confident going back to all the things we're talking about, the kind of services we provide. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.